Good Friday evening, everyone. My name is Renee Zaragoza. And if you have your Bibles with you, will you please turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. I will be reading verses 21 through 32. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Uh, let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Dear Heavenly Father, we come humbly before you with a grateful heart. God, for all that you've done for us and for all that you've been to us. For God, you so loved the world, you loved us, that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For you did not send your son to condemn the world or condemn us, but to save the world through him. Jesus, you were forsaken so that we can be forgiven. We just glorify you and praise your holy name. Jesus, your name is above all names. We pray for Pastor Tim as he has prepared a message for us. May our hearts be open to receive what you intend for us to know, Lord God. May we leave here a changed people, better people, rejoicing in hope and sharing the good news with others of a blessed Savior. We thank you, we give you all the honor and all the glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Thank you, Renee, for sharing God's word with us and for your prayer. Thank you, Worship Arts Ministry, for leading us in a spirit-filled time of worship. And thank you, church family, for being here on this Good Friday. 
For those joining us online, a special welcome to you as well. And uh, for those gathered here in person, when you arrived at your chair, you noticed that there was a, an index card and a pen, and everyone should have one. And I'd like to take a moment to give you some instructions now so that you can prepare for an important exercise that we'll all take part in tonight. And uh, I know that sometimes when there's a group exercise, some people like to say, well, I'll let the person next to me participate for the two of us, okay? And, and, or, you know, sometimes when you're with your family, you, just, you say, okay, you be the, uh, the spokesperson for our whole family, okay? You do it, and then we'll just watch. Tonight, there'll be no such thing. Tonight, we encourage everyone here, children and adults, to participate in this important exercise. And so I want to take a moment to explain what you'll be writing here on this paper. Between now and the end of my sermon, I'd like for you to uh, think about your answer to the following question. And here's the question. What is one area of your life that is hindering your relationship with God and that you would like to surrender to him. Think about that question. What is one area of your life that's hindering your relationship with God and that you would like to surrender to him? Now, this might be a pattern of sin. It might be uh, some issue in your life. Maybe for some, uh, anger management. Maybe for some, it might be a feeling of resentment bitterness. You're harboring bitterness toward someone else. Maybe for some here, you have family turmoil, and that's hindering you. That's an obstacle between you and God. Maybe for some here, it might be a vice, some struggle that is just a causing this great chasm between you and God. And so I'd like for you to be specific, and be specific because guess what? Your names will not be on the card. Please don't put your name on the card. And what I'd like you to do is, between now and the end of my sermon, feel free at any point to start thinking about what you're going to write down. And in fact, you can write down your answer to that question anytime during my sermon. And again, I'd love for you to be as specific as possible if you want to share an example. Again, your name is not going to be on here. But if there's something that's holding you back, something that's separating you from God, Tonight, we'd like to hear from you. And then we're going to collect all those at the end. And I'll have them here up with me, and I'll read a few of them. And again, your name will not be on there. But as I read some of them, I think what you'll find is this, that you are not alone. You are not alone in some of your struggles and your sins and your shortcomings. And so would you prayerfully consider what you will write down on your card. You can start thinking about that. You can even start writing that at any point. But tonight is a good night. It's a good night, and we call it Good Friday. And as we reflect on the work that was done on the cross for our sins, we're faced with somewhat of a paradox, aren't we? Uh, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, you know that we're currently going through the book of Mark in a series called Servant 
king, the gospel of Mark. And we've been looking at this three-act drama that Mark has laid out for us. Tonight, we're going to be touching upon Act 3. In Act 3, chapters 11 through 16, is all about the paradox of Jesus becoming king. Now, of course, we know what happens at the end of Act 3. And you can come back on Sunday for all the details of what happens at the end of Act 3. But we know this. There would be no Sunday without Friday. And so that's why it's important for us to pause and reflect on the work that was done on the cross for our sins tonight as we open God's Word. The title of this evening's message is Torn in Two. Torn in Two. And we'll be in Mark chapter 15, looking at verses 22 to 39. And again, tonight is somewhat of a paradox. We call it Good Friday, and yet the unimaginable pain that Jesus suffered on the cross was anything but good. But the reason why we call it Good Friday is the results are good. The results for you and for me are good. The unimaginable pain that Jesus suffered on the cross was for our good. Jesus did not save himself. He could have saved himself, but he did not save himself for our good. Just, just pause and, and reflect on that. That he would not save himself for our good. And so the work on the cross made it possible for us to experience Good Friday tonight. When Jesus hung on the cross and he breathed his final breath, the Bible tells us that the curtain in the temple was torn in two. Now a curtain or a window covering in a house or a building is one of the most important items, right? Because uh, that provides privacy. It provides certain functions for us. And so a curtain in your home is a functional item. But did you know this? When you look at the word curtain, there's so much more to it than just the physical function of the curtain. There's a powerful symbol behind a curtain. Think about this. Everything about a curtain screams, you're not welcome here. So when you see a closed curtain, what it says to you is, you can't look behind this curtain. You have to stay on the outside. Stay away. Keep your distance. You cannot come in here. Now let's think about uh, curtains for a minute, especially in hotels, right? These blackout curtains. They're very different than the curtains that we have or the window coverings at home, at least in our home. Those blackout curtains in hotels, they are so effective, aren't they? Right? When you're on vacation or when you're on a business trip, at nighttime when you pull that blackout curtain closed, here's what happens. The room becomes so pitch black that for all we know, it's 3 a.m. any time of the day. No matter how bright it is outside, when the blackout curtains are closed, it could be 3 a.m. in your mind, and it could be noontime, right? 
And so the, the curtain in a hotel, it sends out this message to the rising sun. Here's what it says to the rising sun. It says, uh, no, 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 you're now welcome in here. These people are on vacation. Let them sleep. Not yet. And so because it's so dark inside, what happens is, and because the curtains do such a great job, the people on vacation, they uh, sleep through their alarm if they put an alarm on. They miss the hotel's free breakfast. <laughs> All because the blackout curtains do such an effective job. When God led his people out of Egypt, he had them build for him a sanctuary, a tabernacle, a temple. And God gave his people specific instructions about this tabernacle. It was a place where God's presence would dwell. It was a place where God's people would go to find forgiveness from God. And yet, what's so fascinating about the Old Testament temple is that almost every aspect of the temple screamed, you're not welcome here. Keep your distance. Did you know at that time, there was a designated area for women and Gentiles. They could not go beyond that designated area. You're not welcome beyond that area. There were steps leading up to the actual temple itself, so you had to climb all these steps just to get there. There was one obstacle after another. And then when you opened the door, the priest would walk in, and there was a place called the holy place. But you see, in the holy place, the priests, they would not just hang out. They would do their job and then leave. So everything about the temple said, you know what, do your work and get out of here. Don't hang out. Don't just lounge around. No one ever hung out in the holy place of the temple. You know, for the better part of the last two years, most of the world didn't hang out much, right? We didn't go to the malls. We didn't go to restaurants. We didn't go to movie theaters. No. You know, at the height of the pandemic, you know what we did? We bought our clothes online. We had our food delivered to us. And we binged all our shows from our sofa. So that's how it was. Nobody hung out with each other at the height of the pandemic. But now we're seeing more and more people out and about. We're seeing more and more people hanging out, taking trips, going on vacations. You know, one of the, the most popular destinations for vacations, especially here in the United States, and especially for those living on the East Coast, is Orlando, Florida, right? Especially for families, Orlando is one of the top destinations for vacations, and for the obvious reason, right? Because Orlando is home to the world's largest McDonald's. <laughs> what, you thought I was going to say some other place? <laughs> no, no. Did you know that Orlando is home to the world's largest McDonald's? 19,000 square feet. Three stories. There's a 30-foot Ronald McDonald inside. There's a two-lane bowling alley. There's a full-on arcade upstairs. And the food, you know, beyond the regular hamburgers and french fries... At that McDonald's, you can have a made-to-order omelet. 
You can have made-to-order pasta. There's a brick oven, and they make some, what I hear, delicious pizzas. And they have an entire dessert bar at the world's largest McDonald's, the happiest place on earth. If you don't believe me, here, take a look. the fish tank? It's open 24-7, the world's largest McDonald's. You see, everything about that McDonald's says, stay a while, hang out, have a Big Mac or five, enjoy your stay. But that wasn't the case with the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The priest did his thing and then left. Inside the tabernacle, beyond the holy place, was another room called the most holy place, the holy of holies. And only one person can go inside there, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. The high priest would go in and atone for the sins of himself and for the people. And before he could enter the holy of holies, the high priest had to scrub himself clean like a surgeon prepping for surgery. He would put on special clothing to make sure he was not contaminating the room. And then he would enter with the blood of a goat. And he would take the blood of the goat and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat that covered the Ark of the Covenant. The Holy of Holies was separated from the rest of the temple by this thick curtain. It was made of linen, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and that curtain served as a separation. It was a powerful symbol of separation. It was a barrier. It separated people from God. No matter how much the high priest would go in there and work to atone for the sins, the one thing the high priest could never, ever say was, it is finished. His work was never done. He could never atone for all the sins. And as he looked at this mercy seat, as he was fatigued, he looked at the seat and how he wanted to sit down and rest but he could never rest because the work was never finished. But there's hope, and that's why we're here on this Good Friday. We're here tonight to remember the finished work on the cross that satisfied 
the penalty for our sins. Earlier, Renee read from Mark 15, verses 21 to 32. When Jesus arrived at Golgotha, he was offered wine with myrrh. You know what that was? That was a narcotic. It was offered to him to ease the pain of the crucifixion. But Jesus refused. Let's think about this. Why would Jesus refuse a narcotic? Here's why. He did not want to drink the cup of sympathy. He chose to drink the cup of iniquity. And he wanted to be in full control of his faculties when he hung on the cross. You see, Jesus could have saved himself, but he didn't. And you see, he could have eased his own pain, but he chose not to. He wanted to remain in control as he did the will of the Father. And so for six grueling hours, six grueling hours, he hung on the cross. And what's so interesting is this. If you were to read all four Gospels, none of the Gospel writers detail the crucifixion. If you read all four Gospels, none of the writers give us any details about the actual crucifixion. Why is that? The reason is this. Those in the original audience, they knew exactly what a crucifixion looked like. It was the most gruesome of sights. No details had to be given. You just named the name crucifixion, and they knew exactly how gruesome it was. When a criminal, criminal was executed, the criminal would have to wear a sign that described the offense. And Pilate inscribed the words, This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, in John's account, John tells us that the opponents wanted him to write, This is Jesus of Nazareth, I said, I am the king of the Jews. But for once, Pilate stood his ground and he spoke the truth. And he wrote, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Let's pick up the account now, starting in verse 33. Mark 15, and I'll read to you verses 33 to 38. At noon... Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. At noontime, a miraculous darkness came over the land. God was saying something to the people. Did you know that in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, 
there's a description of what's known as the ten plagues, the ten plagues of Egypt. I want you to take a look at the ten plagues of Egypt. Take a look here and focus in on the ninth plague, darkness. The ninth plague is followed by the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. The darkness at Calvary was an announcement that God's firstborn, his beloved son, the Lamb of God, was giving his life for the sins of the world. And by the way, it was also an announcement of judgment. Matthew's gospel tells us that there was an earthquake. In Mark's account, we read that there was the, court, the, tur- the, curtain, I'm sorry, the curtain that was torn in two. In the Old Testament, there was an earthquake at Mount Sinai when the law was given. But now the law was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So Jesus purchased freedom from the entire sacrificial system. The curtain was torn in two. And what's being described here is what was prophesied in Psalm 22, which details the pain of the suffering servant. And please make no mistake about it. God sent his son to die for us. He knew that Jesus would have to take our entire sin upon himself. Let's go back to the temple. The curtain in the temple was there to separate humans from God. But now through the death of Jesus, the veil was removed. Look at verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died. He said, surely this man was the Son of God. Now, this is remarkable. You see, because the Roman centurion, he oversaw the entire execution. From start to finish, he had followed every stage of the crucifixion. Exactly. And he knew, he knew, because he had witnessed many other crucifixions, he knew that Jesus did not die a normal death. The strength that Jesus possessed at the moment of his death, it caused this spontaneous declaration from the Roman centurion. Now, I want you to think about this. What the centurion saw and then proclaimed could have easily gotten him into trouble by both the Jews and the Romans. But you know what? He could not contain himself. He could not deny what he saw. This truly was the Son of God. The Gospel of Mark focuses our attention on Jesus the servant. The greatest thing a servant can do for another is to lay down his or her life. Jesus gave his life for you and for me. The work was finished. The curtain was torn in two. You know the curtain in the Old Testament temple? It was said to have been four inches thick. 
It was 60 feet high. And it was said that horses tied to the ends of the curtains could not pull the curtain apart. It could only be done miraculously by God himself. Do you know what that means for us tonight? My friends, do you know what that means to us, for us tonight? It means that we have direct access to God. The curtain has been separated. It's been torn in two. There's no longer a barrier between us and God. Jesus is our direct mediator. He is our advocate. There's no one else standing between us and God. And there's no greater privilege than to have our sins nailed to the cross. It is finished. The debt has been paid once and for all. That is why every child of God here tonight can proclaim the words of Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And we can proclaim it with confidence. And in fact, I'd like for us to look at Galatians 2.20 up here on the screen. And I want us all together to, to share verbally, to proclaim to, to claim this verse tonight. Children, I want you to show your parents how bold you can be by reciting this verse. Parents, I want you to show your kids just how unashamed of the gospel you are tonight. And so if you are a child of God, would you join me in proclaiming this verse? We'll say it together. Everybody ready? Let's begin. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. No matter how much we think we've messed up in our lives, our mess is not too big for God. It is not too big for God. You know, for you young parents, and for you parents who used to be young, <laughs> we've all experienced a messy diaper, haven't we? We've all experienced a messy diaper. And forgive me for this visual, but here's the thing about a messy diaper. The mess doesn't want to stay inside the diaper. Somehow the mess finds its way out of the diaper and into every nook and cranny of the baby. Life is often messy. But no matter how much we think we've messed up, our mess is not too big for God. It is not too big for God. No matter how much we think that our sins have separated us from God, if God can miraculously tear the curtain in the temple, surely he can bridge that chasm between us and him. Oh, and by the way, maybe in your own life, maybe you think, well, I haven't messed up too much. I've been a good boy and a good girl all my life. Well, guess what? Jesus died for those who think they're self-sufficient too. Jesus died for those who think they've gotten their act together and they followed the rules. Jesus has died for every single one of us. The beauty of the cross is this. 
The cross has put every single one of us on the same level playing field. We all deserve eternity apart from God. But Jesus, who could have saved himself, died for our good. I'd like to go back and revisit the question I asked you at the beginning. What is one area of your life that is hindering your relationship with God and that you would like to surrender to Him? And maybe you'd like to surrender to Him tonight. Would you take some time and prayerfully consider what you will write on your card? Your name will not be on there. In a few moments, we'll ask you to pass them forward and we'll collect them. But would you take some time right now? Is there a pattern of sin that's separating you from God? Are you jealous of somebody? Do you resent somebody? Are you bitter? angry? Is there a vice? Maybe some might even be bold enough to even share in detail. By the way, if your sin is so great, you can use the backside of the card too. Would you take a few moments and write down your answer to that question?
over on this side, if I can ask Luke, if you would collect any completed cards, and you can stand and wait there for those finishing up. Here in this section, Glenn, if I could ask you to collect the cards here. You can pass your cards up to Glenn. Kevin, if I can ask you to collect the cards here. And Chuck, thank you for collecting the cards there. Thank you for writing down these honest answers. These are not easy to write down. I'd like to read a few of these for you. And I think that you'll find that you are not alone in these. What separates this person from God? What's hindering this person's relationship? Envy and jealousy. Envy, someone else's personality, someone who is more outgoing, articulate, articulate, better listener, makes friends easily. This envy leads to jealousy and resentment. So this person shared honestly, this is what hindering that person. Guess what? Jesus died for that. It is torn in two. It is torn in two.
Tonight, I want to surrender my sin of anger to Jesus. I've struggled with this stronghold for the last six years. This sin has kept me from having a deeper relationship with God. It also affects relationships with my kids. And I can see how it negatively impacts them as well. Guess what? Jesus has torn that in two. Lust. Jesus died so we don't have to struggle with that. person wrote down anger, low self-esteem, insecurity in relationships, and judgmental. I think this person was reading my mind. I think this person echoes the minds of so many here. Jesus died for that. Allow me to read just a few more. There's so many here. This person wrote, what's hindering this person's relationship with God? My worriness of the store and my son. Jesus died so we can overcome that worry. One thing that's separating me from God is my anger. So many are struggling with anger. Tonight, you can give that up to God. Just a few more here. Lust and a shame-defined identity. Jesus died for that. Being drawn to the material things of the world and oftentimes not being fully forgiving of past behaviors of my spouse. Give that up to Jesus tonight. Forgive your spouse tonight. If Jesus died for your spouse, surely you can forgive your spouse. Surely if Jesus died for your spouse, there's no, there's no act that your spouse has done that's greater than God's forgiveness. Just a couple more here. I feel apart from God whenever my friends say bad things about God. 
which is bad. And I love how this person wrote through three crosses there. And so whoever wrote this, whether you are young or young at heart, Jesus died for your friends who say bad things about him. And so you can forgive them. And just one more here. to surrender that I can fully, boldly exhort God's word to the world. Amen. Amen. Jesus died. So that we can surrender ourselves to him and boldly proclaim Jesus to the world. I'd like for us to take a look at the cross up there. It's a beautiful cross, isn't it? But did you also know that in Jesus' day, it was an ugly symbol? It was an ugly symbol. And yet Jesus took what was ugly and he made it beautiful. And so tonight is a good night for us. It's a good night because Jesus died for your sins and for mine. If you wrote something down here on a card and you need prayer, our leaders are ready to pray for you. When we're done in just a minute, we invite you to come to the bottom of the cross and our leaders will be ready to pray for you.